0: The following audio is from River City Baptist Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at rivercityrichmond.org. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them, because they could not bear what was commanded. Even if an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I'm trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks better word, a better word than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised... Once more, I will shake not only the earth but also the heavens. The words "once more" indicate the removing of what can be shaken—that is, created things—so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God, God, acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire.
1: Good morning. We will be, this morning, in uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 through 29. That'll be our focus. It's been a joy to, to study this over the past several weeks. I really feel like there's three or four messages we could get from this, but um, it's a joy to be able to preach with you this morning. My, a number of years ago, we traveled as a family to the mountains of Mpumalanga, South Africa. Uh, my daughter, Lily... Who's here from college by the way uh, she was pretty young at the time but she really wanted to go on a daddy daughter hike in the mountains but there was a specific ask she said she wanted to bring a backpack and she wanted to take a Snickers bar so that, so that she could eat that somewhere on the trail that sounded easy enough so I found a good hike in the mountains to make that happen so we set off with a pink backpack and a Snickers bar Scratch that, two Snickers bar, because I needed one too. And we started on the mountain trail. Now, we weren't a quarter of a mile into the forest, and we started hearing screaming and howling. And it's like, where's that coming from? So I kind of crouched down, and I started looking through the trees, and I saw one baboon. Then I saw another baboon, and then another, and then another. and, And eventually, I saw a whole troop of baboons, apparently having some kind of territorial battle. So I told Lily, I said, we, I, these, these baboons are aggressive. We've got to turn around, and we've got to leave. Now, I was a little terrified, and she was not a little disappointed about the Snickers bar, of course. But I couldn't let my little girl down, so I decided to find a different trail to hike on the mountain. And after a little searching, I did find a good trail. The entire hike, though, I was so nervous. I was watching for snakes and baboons and wildcats or or whatever may come out of the forest and attack us at any point but lily was not looking for that she was looking for a good spot to sit down and eat her snickers bar and she did we found a spot on a log overlooking this great uh, place where we can see kind of all the mountains there and was overlooking this um, this open space and way off in the distance i could see some vervet monkeys Now, it wasn't too long into our Snickers snack that these monkeys started to come closer and closer, and eventually they were right overhead wanting a piece of this foreign food that we had brought into the forest. To make a long story short, Lily finished her Snickers, but I abandoned mine to get those monkeys out of our way, and we got out of there as quickly as possible. As a family, we like to hike a lot, um, and I could tell you more stories of feeling fearful and traversing rocky crags or uh, scary edges or wild animals or even just intimidation by the, by the mountain itself. Mountains have a way of bringing about stories that shape us, influence us, and, and a rise of emotions, often fear and awe that we don't experience every day. And this is why stories of mountains fill the ages. Listen to this quote, the lonely mountain. Bilbo had come far and through many adventures to see it, and now he did not like the look of it in the least. Now, this line is, of course, from the book, The Hobbit. Good boys and girls. Now, I'll think for a minute about books that you've read that have either included a physical mountain or some kind of metaphorical mountain with with a, a significance. In the example of the hobbit, you suddenly come face to face with an internal turmoil that Bilbo is facing as he reaches his desired destination. Yet the thing that he wanted most to see is the very thing that causes him fear when finally encountering that mountain in person. Now, stories of mountains are not just found in literature. In fact, they are central to religious narrative as playing a key part in its history. Therefore, stories of mountains are handed down from culture to culture, generation to generation, faith to faith. Even more, the seemingly eternal mountains that exist among people become a part of one's identity, beliefs, and even their worship experience. Consider the village of Alabe in Nigeria. There's a mountain there that many esteem because of the belief that it protects them from enemy attack. In fact, devotees sacrifice cows on a certain day each year and just pray that the mountains will accept their sacrifice so that it will continue to protect them for the years to come. In the Peruvian Andes, thousands of pilgrims climb the mountains there for a festival where sacrifices are brought and veneration is made both to God and their ancestors. I could tell you stories of things that we've seen uh, of people dressed in white that would, that would come to the mountains year after year after year in order to pay devotion uh, to God on the mountain, thinking that that's where they're going to get their inspiration. Both in Taoism and Buddhism, specific sacred mountains play a key role in places of spiritual practices. So mountains are important. They're important to identity, culture, and religion, That's true today and was true in the Bible, which really sets us up for the backdrop of the passage that we're reading this morning. Now, when the passage was started, you may have thought, okay, we just dropped into the middle of something, but there's some kind of context that I'm missing, some kind of story that I'm missing. Well, to be honest with you, there's no elaboration in Hebrews of this story because in this passage, we learn about two mountains that are so well known to the listeners, to the churches that are receiving this message Not only were the mountains familiar to the audience, the recipients could actually remember the story and and tell it over and over to to their families. So, because of that, I think it's important for us to recall this story as well. So, if you will turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter nineteen. Before we look at the story, though, this morning I'm going to just to give you kind of a an overview of where we're heading. We're going to look at two different headings in our passage. One. Our first heading will be two mountains to fear, and our second heading will be two types of people. So two mountains to fear and two types of people. The main idea of the text is this, apart from Christ, mankind awaits the reality of eternal separation from him. Yet for those made righteous in Christ, we have come to an unshakable kingdom and can worship freely in the presence of a holy God. I'll read that again apart from Christ, mankind awaits the reality of eternal separation from him. Yet for those made righteous in Christ, we have come to an unshakable kingdom and can worship freely in the presence of a holy God. So first, two mountains to fear. So first, Hebrews 12, verse 18, let's look quickly at how he describes the scene at our first mountain. Now, he doesn't use this word in the text, but we know this from the story, that this is Mount Sinai. Chapter 12, verse 18. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched. That's how this passage starts for us. So what's the story? What's the whole story that's happening here? So if you're in Exodus 19, I, I do encourage you to, to, to follow along there to kind of grasp the, the nature of this story. But I want to begin by Asking you kids a question. Kids, have you ever been in a place where you just felt really afraid? Like just ever felt like super scared about something? Well, that's kind of how the Israelites were feeling right here in our story. And that's, that's the feeling that we need to get in this story. This is how many families felt. They had just escaped a very difficult experience in Egypt It had been three months since the Israelites, God's chosen people, had been released from slavery in Egypt and set out in the wilderness towards a better land. And over the course of those three months, the Israelites had already seen God destroy their enemies in the sea, provide a miraculous pathway through the middle of the sea, and actually deliver food from the sky to satisfy their hunger. So three months into their journey, they come to a mountain. These travelers, Israelite men, Women, children, these are families. They decide they're going to camp at the foot of the mountain. Now, when I say camp, don't picture Coleman lanterns and REI tents. This was different. They decided to camp at the foot of the mountain. The one leading their journey was God's chosen servant, servant to lead his people. His name was Moses. And after the Israelites stopped to camp at this mountain, we learn from Exodus 19 that Moses goes to God at the mountain to receive instruction from him. Now don't miss this. God is at this mountain. And he's going to speak to Moses there. Super important to the story. This is what God first wants Moses to tell the Israelites. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on the eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasure possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So the people hear, hear this message, and they told Moses, Okay, we will obey you. Moses then takes this message back to God, and God then tells Moses that he's going to come to them as a dense cloud on the mountain and speak to Moses. The Israelites, though, they need to prepare themselves because God's going to be giving Moses special instruction for the Israelites. That's where I want us to focus. Look at Exodus chapter 19, verses 10 through 25. The Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes. Get ready by the third day, because on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. But put limits all around them and tell them, Be careful that you do not go up the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. He shall surely be stoned. Shot with arrows, and not a hand is to be laid on him. Whether man or animal, he will not be permitted to live. Only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast, they may go up to the mountain. Whew. So after Moses had gone down the mountain to the people, he consecrated them, washed their clothes, and said to the people, Prepare yourselves for the third day, abstain for sexual, from sexual relations. And on the morning of the third day, here's the scene there was thunder and lightning and a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke builded up from it like smoke from a furnace. <coughs> Excuse me. The whole mountain, it trembled violently and the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Then Moses spoke and the voice of God answered him. The Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up and the Lord said to him, Go down and warn the people so that they do not force their way to see the Lord, and many of them perish. Even the priests who approach the Lord must consecrate themselves, or the Lord will break out against them. Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai because you yourself warned us. Put limits around the mountain and set it apart as holy. So, this story that I just read, very familiar to the people. They all knew this story. This story had been passed down through the ages. <clears throat> when God speaks to Moses here, we see in chapter 20, he gives them the Ten Commandments, the law. Now, Galatians 3.19 tells us that the law was intended to expose sin and show their need for a mediator. The giving of the law in Exodus 19, we need to grasp this. This was a terrifying experience. Let's look back at our text in Hebrews chapter 12. So, keeping that story in mind, Hebrews chapter 12, the author here is describing it for us again. Verse 18. You've not come to a mountain that can be touched, that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and a storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them, because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. (coughs) The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, Moses said, I am trembling with fear. This was a terrifying experience. This reference to the mountain in Exodus is a picture of what they will have to face if they decide they want to go back and live life under the old covenant, as if Jesus never came. That's what he's telling the Hebrew church. Why is this a scene of terror, though? Bottom line, God is holy and cannot tolerate sin. God is unapproachable. Attempt to approach him, And you will die. This scene sets us up for one of the most important questions throughout the Bible How can sinful man be in the presence of a holy God? How is it possible? That leads us to the tale of our second mountain. So, kids, again, ask you a different question Have you ever been to a place that is just like the best ever? So wonderful that you never wanted to leave. Maybe you've been to Christmas Town at Busch Gardens. Or maybe it was Disney World. Or maybe it was like some incredible toy store. Or maybe you went to some friend's house and they had this epic gaming system. I don't know what it is. But you've been to a place that maybe is just like the best place ever. When the Bible says we've come to Mount Zion, we need to realize that we have come to the greatest place ever. There is no comparison to this place to any other place that you've ever been. Zion. Now, I, I want to stop for a second and give you a true confession. I, I grew up in the church. was a Christian for a long time. And I heard Zion repeated over and over. I would sing about it. I'd hear about it in the Bible. I'd hear preachers talking about it. And I'd be like, I, I, know, it's, I know it's good and it's got something to do with God, but like, really, what, what is Zion? And perhaps, I mean, we, we have a song we sing here a lot, We will feast in the house of Zion, and perhaps you've been singing that song going, I know that's really good, but what is Zion again? That's okay. I I felt that way for most of my life. Let me help you. This passage in Hebrews gives us a fairly good idea of why Zion is good. So we know it's good, but what is it? Well, in 2 Samuel chapter 5, we hear of a story of David conquering Jerusalem, one of the most famous cities of its time. And this is where he becomes king of Israel. Now, while in Jerusalem, he establishes his throne in what he calls the city of David, which is also known as Zion. Because of this, we read later that the temple was actually established in that location. In Psalm 78:68, we read that God loved Zion and wanted it as a place of worship. In 1 Kings 14:21, In Psalm 9.11, we find that it is indeed the dwelling place of God. Therefore, Zion was more than just David's city, but the place where God dwelt. During the time of the prophets, we read in places like Isaiah 59.20 and Zechariah 9.9 that a king king will come from Zion that will deliver God's people. Zion is also seen throughout the Bible as a heavenly city, an eternal place of dwelling. We see that even in Revelation, which offers a foretaste of what is to come in the return of Christ. So how can Zion, this place that David established, really be the eternal dwelling place of God? For the sake of time, I'll cut straight to it. But we'll do so by reminding us of a story that we often hear around this time of year. So here's the scene. There are shepherds in a field, Keeping watch of their flocks by night when an angel of the Lord appears to them. And in Luke chapter 2, verse 10, we read that the angel says to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the town of David, Zion, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. I'm sorry I couldn't do it in the voice of Linus, but I'm sure that was okay. But this verse kind of says it all. The king, the Christ, has arrived and is dwelling among us. Matthew one twenty three. we learn that this king shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Zion. God's dwelling in a temple made with hands is now a spiritual dwelling made in Christ and is now God's new people, new temple, his people. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 22 and 23, it begins to spell out the significance of Zion. First of all, look at verse 22. When he opens this, this may be the most comforting to us. Verse 22, he says, But you have come. You have come. So if you've ever read throughout Hebrews you would know why these are some of the most comforting verses. In nearly every chapter in Hebrews, constantly, if you read it without the chapter headings, you just kind of hear this repeated over and over and over, this urging for them to draw near to God. Why? Well, the church at that time was under immense persecution to question the validity of the Messiah and to abandon their newfound faith in Jesus. So this letter, which some see as a sermon, it beckons the church to persevere in the faith by drawing near to God. In our text this morning, we have come echoes that same exact language, but in a way to remind them that we can draw near because of where we stand before God. Sinful man can stand before a holy God because a holy God has stood before man. He stands before us as a mediator. The Son of God came to us, lived perfectly, died for our sins, and rose from the dead so that by faith in Him we can have forgiveness of sins and eternal life, created with, credited with His own righteousness. But the reason that this was required is because God is holy and simply does not ignore sin. Sinners, as we all are, are by nature under His merciless, terrifying wrath therefore we must repent of our sins and trust in jesus alone for salvation so for those of us in this room that have repented of our sins and placed our faith in jesus as the sole provider of our salvation let's look closely at hebrews to see what it what does it mean that we have come to mount zion verse 22 again you have come to mount zion to the heavenly jerusalem The city of the living God. We have come to God's dwelling place, a heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. We have come to Zion. Verse 22 again, we are with thousands of angels in joyful assembly because we are in the presence of God. Verse 23, we are with the church of the firstborn, God's children, sharing sonship with God's son, Jesus. Even more, our heavenly visit is not temporary, as we see our names are written in heaven since God's home is now our home. But wait, it gets even better. For Christ's followers, we have come to the almighty judge who declares us righteous and he welcomes us into his presence. That's a beautiful contrast to him saying even... If you or even an animal comes near me, he will die. We also see in verse 23 that we have come to a place alongside other believers. My prayer is that we bask in the beauty of the local church, a foretaste of true worship alongside those who are saved in Christ. In verse 24, we see how all of this is possible. That's because we have come to Jesus who is our mediator. He stands between us and God so that through His perfect righteousness we may come into His divine presence. But one quick note. This is certainly not the first time for the recipients of this letter to hear about Jesus being a mediator. In Hebrews chapter 8, verses 1 through 5, we read a summary statement about Jesus as a mediator and a high priest. One commentator states, he says, the point is that the one priest who goes between us and God and makes us right with God and prays for us to God is not an ordinary, weak, sinful, dying priest as in the Old Testament days. He's the son of God, strong, sinless, with an indestructible, unshakable life. Verse 24, when it says to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, to recognize Mount Sinai is an, is a, is a representation of the old covenant. We've been, put, we've been brought to Jesus and Zion, a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Verse 24 states how it is possible for us to stand before God. It's through Jesus' blood. His death on the cross that paid the penalty for our sins. It's the perfect sacrifice and even better than Abel's. Now, what's that mean? Well, just as a reminder, if you remember from the very beginning in Genesis... The very first sacrifice, one of the very first sacrifices we see, Abel made a sacrifice to God, a lamb. And this was one of the very first sacrifices recorded in the Bible and the very first one that Jesus, that that God accepted. But he says that Jesus' blood speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Jesus' sacrifice is far better than even that one, which speaks loudly to those that are listening, So back back to 22. But you have come to Mount Zion. This, my friends, is a good place to be. So now what? Well, I'm sure this time of year, a lot of you are watching Christmas movies. Growing up, I, It's a Wonderful Life was one of those movies that we watched over and over. Um, I, I, I confess so that I watched it. I always enjoyed when it was on but I did not love the movie itself it always felt pretty heavy to me uh, and I saw that same heaviness even in my kids as I've showed it to them but I know there's probably some fans in this room and some that watch it year after year but if you're honest there's a part of the movie that's really hard to watch and, and I guess that's probably what makes it so wonderful though pun intended you, you have to see things, if you think about the movie, you have to see things so terrible in order to expose our true need for hope. Our text in Hebrews does something similar. The author reminds the church what life is like under the law, apart from Christ, so that they may see the beauty of true life found only in Christ Jesus, the Messiah. And that leads us to our last heading. Two types of people. Just as there are two, t- two mountains, Sinai representing the law, which condemns us, and Zion representing God's new dwelling place and salvation in Jesus, there are two types of people represented in this passage. Really, those far from God, whose destiny is destruction, and those near God, made righteous in Christ and whose destiny is life. So let's look at both of these types of people. For those far from God, look at verse 25. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. God is speaking. If you are far from God, God is speaking. Do not refuse him. You cannot escape God's necessary wrath because of your sin, so don't try. Verse 26. Well, let me actually finish 25. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. God has shaken the earth, but he will also shake the heavens. How? Well, Christ is coming again and will bring about a new heaven and a new earth. And for those of you who have not placed your faith in Christ, you will not be included in that reality but will be eternally separated from God. Because God is holy, in him is light, and there is no darkness in him. God is holy, and God is unapproachable by those who are in their sin. And we need a mediator. For those of us who are near God, who trust in him for your salvation, that's why he says in verse 22, you have come to Mount Zion. You get to wake up each morning and remember that you are a child of God, eternally secure in his divine presence because of Jesus. Our commanded response here in verse 28 is to be thankful and worship God in fear. The word there in verse 28 where it says, Let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. The better word there is true fear. The reason why I believe that awe is really the expression here. It's really the the understanding of of, of what fear actually means in this context. But from Genesis to Revelation, we see constant this call to fear God. That's why I think this is probably a better word here. But we see here that that's our response. Our commanded response is to be thankful and worship God in fear. But look closely again at verse 28. Why do we do that? We do that because we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. I don't, want you, I don't want us to miss that. Coming to Zion means that we cannot be shaken. So the way to apply these realities are found right here in the text. A right response to the salvation we receive in Christ is fear of God. awe, worship. Kids, when you're feeling anxious... You feel like there's a lot of worry. You're worrying about something. Maybe you're feeling fearful. Worship God if you are in Christ because you are a part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Church family, when you face loss or feel like things are falling apart, be thankful and worship God, remembering that you are a part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. When your future seems uncertain, be thankful and worship God because you are a part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. When the weight of temptation seems too difficult to bear, be thankful and worship God because you are a part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. When life just seems hard because of bad grades at school, troubles in relationships, struggles with making ends meet, or life just seems to be falling apart, be thankful and worship God with reverence and awe, remembering that he has brought you into a kingdom that cannot be shaken. In her biography of Elizabeth Elliot, uh, called Becoming Elizabeth Elliot, the author provides us with a quote from Elizabeth's father, Thomas Howard. He writes, The incarnation took all that properly belongs to our humanity and delivered it back to us, redeemed. Redeemed. All of our inclinations and appetites and capacities and yearnings are purified and gathered up and glorified by Christ. He did not come to thin out human life. He came to set it free. All the dancing and feasting and processing and singing and building and sculpting and baking and merrymaking that belong to us and that were stolen away into the service of false gods are returned to us in the gospel powerful quote. In short, because of Christ, all our life can be worship unto God because we can be in his presence because of Christ. All we do can and should bring glory to God because we have come to a kingdom that cannot be shaken because of Christ. That's our response. Let's go back to Luke, to the scene in the field with the shepherds. Did you catch the first thing the angel said? Do not be afraid. How amazing is that? Emmanuel has come. God is with us. The Messiah has arrived. And the angel says, don't be afraid. It's pretty different than what happened with the Israelites at Mount Sinai, right? That does not mean, though, that we do not fear as we read in verse 28. Yet it is a righteous fear a worship, and awe of God who is so holy, yet we can look upon him. We can call on his name and be in his presence despite our sin, all because a Savior has been born, who is Christ the Lord. So perhaps your next trek on a mountain or the next appearance of a mountain in the book you're reading will remind you of the mountain stories that God's people were told throughout the ages that we're reading even here today. So as we close, I want us to visit one more piece of classic literature that speaks of a mountain. In Pilgrim's Progress, just as Christian was approaching the delectable mountains, the shepherds state, these mountains are Emmanuel's lands, and they are within sight of his city. And the sheep also are his, and he laid down his life for them. Well, Christian then asks, is this the way to the celestial city? The shepherds say, "Ah, oh, you were just on your way. How far, asks Christian. The shepherds reply, Too far for any but those that shall get there indeed. Christian asks, Is the way safe or dangerous? The shepherds respond, Safe for those for whom it is to be safe, but transgressors shall fall therein. Our text really ends on a sobering note. So I want us to look at the very last verse. We celebrate that we have come to Mount Zion, a place where we can worship. But verse 29, he says, For our God is a consuming fire. This is a sobering reminder, and he brings our attention back on the fact that God is indeed a consuming fire. For that reason, let's end By first pleading with those, if you're here and you are far from God and you have not placed your faith in Christ and are still eternally separated from him because you're trusting in yourself for salvation, you're trusting in your good works, you're trusting in maybe you come to church today, so maybe I've got my good deed done. Whatever you're trusting in, if it's not Jesus, you are far from God and you are still in your sin and you cannot approach God apart from Christ. Our God is a consuming fire, so my plead with you today is to trust in Jesus alone for salvation. Repent of your sins and place your faith in him. For those of us who are followers of Christ, when we think of our God being a consuming fire, I think it's good to end on that sobering note. As we recall the vast amount of lostness that exists today, God is a consuming fire and we have neighbors, coworkers, people in our city, people throughout this country, entire people groups around the world with little to no access to the gospel who are lost and dying and eternally separated from him. We need to pray for them, but my prayer for us today is that our, as our hearts worship God for who we are in Christ, we would also plead with God that we would be obedient in proclaiming light to those who need to hear and ask the Father to save many. Let's close in prayer. Father, as we conclude on the sobering reality, it sparks joy in my heart knowing that you have saved me. But I do so humbly knowing that I cannot do that on my own. I know I can't save myself. You have saved me. But God, I think of us as a church. And as a church, we declare our utter dependence upon you. God, I pray that we would be a beacon of light to the nations. God, I pray that we would remember the salvation we have in Christ. And may we worship you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, may we worship you in reverence and awe, be glorified in our life. God, I also pray that if there is someone here today who is not trusting in your son Jesus for their salvation, that you would convict their hearts today. God, as they tremble with fear at the mountain, crushed, feeling condemned under the law, that you would expose their sin and their need for you. Draw them to repentance and save them even today. God, we need your help. Be glorified in us. In Christ's name we pray, amen.